All right, it's very important that we have all of our sharp knives in one drawer. And this is our sharp knife drawer. And all the handles are coming to the front of the drawer. All right? And uh, when you use a sharp knife, always return it to this drawer. This is the third drawer from the stove. Right? Yes, ma'am. And all the handles are faced to the front. So when a blind person is looking for a knife, they don't grab a blade. Yes, ma'am. All right? The shorter ones are here and these, these here. Hmm. And then the longer ones are... Got a few right these steak yeah. knives. Uh -huh. And then we also have our vegetable peelers. Have you ever used a vegetable peeler? Hmm. Potato peeler sometimes it's called. Oh. I've seen these before, but mm -hmm. I always used a knife peel them too. I didn't okay. know what these were. This is easier, and you don't get quite as much peeling with this. So we'll do that, okay? Okay. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I am Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. Feeling good. <laughs> doing good. All uh, right. Yeah. What a, what uh it's it's good to be back with you and and in weissman mode again after a little break doing the film fest again um and our break it, doing the the um the review of a couple a couple which Never everybody back. has seen and <laughs> <laughs> actually isn't that doing theatrical in like a week or two something, something like, like that. that yeah something like that catch it in new york at least i'm sure um what was i gonna say oh but yeah so I, I remember last time uh after the film fest last year kind of coming on here and like lamenting about um you know weissman not really being like in vogue or present or his style kind of being uh -huh. absent in a lot of the films um which you know i think i think I'd like to walk that back a, a smidge just because, you know, documentary now is so rich and you can really do almost anything. Um, but wanted to call out a few films that uh, people can look out for that either do or don't conform to the approach, but are, are worth checking out. Um, but one that won the, the juried competition this year for best doc um, is called Video Visit. Um, it, it was a production of Field of Vision and our co-production between Field of Vision and Firelight Media um, and is about uh, at the Brooklyn Public Library um, they had have or had a program where you can do uh, a visit with your family who's incarcerated at Rikers um, through the <laughs> library at the library like a, a Zoom call kind oh, of thing sure. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of great meeting scenes, a lot of great, like, phone call scenes, and just the way it explores these uh, interactions between institutions and, like, how, like, one institution's principles will butt up against another's and, like, you know, kind of be incompatible um, was just, like, yeah, very, you know, in the Weissman wheelhouse, and it, it's just really well done and rich and um the the director there is uh, malika zuhali waral um so look out for that one uh when you can uh, i know the field of vision stuff usually ends up on vimeo 
Um, and then coming to POV this season on PBS, um, there is a fantastic short doc um, uh, by a Chicago filmmaker called My Dudish. Um, so you'll be able to watch that on broadcast. Um, but this one is about uh, the filmmaker's mom takes in an injured baby squirrel or like an abandoned baby squirrel and then raises it. Um, and we're just kind of watching the squirrel grow and the relationship between Dudush the squirrel and, and the mom uh, deepen. And yeah, it's just very powerful and emotion. That filmmaker is <laughs> like uh, Tom Krausick. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but yeah, these are two that I would love for people to look out for. And I think, uh, if you're Weissman heads, we'll, we'll dig them. Interesting. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, you know, we talked with a past guest, Robert Green, uh, who's a filmmaker who is influenced by Wiseman, but like his films don't resemble mm -hmm. Wiseman's. And I think like we talked today with our guest, John Wilson, about, his mode of filmmaking, which is it like dips in and out of Wiseman. And there's like, um, <clears throat> there is a connective tissue in the creation of it. Um, but at times like it's, it's so much different from what Wiseman's doing. Um, mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, maybe, maybe we had something a bit too narrow in mind in, in terms of like, what does that sort of like influence look like or how can it manifest? Mm -hmm. But who knows, maybe next year after the festival, you'll come on and be like, <laughs> maybe you'll walk this back. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, well, like it's true. Like I think he's so foundational and his like approach and methods have like filtered through various films and filmmakers throughout the history of documentary filmmaking that like you know you can identify things that could be called like Weissman-esque in almost any doc you know um but like I think the the sensibilities and the interests I guess are um just so varied now that that you know it, you it's not always readily apparent but I think you know his I hope you know, in the year, year encompassing year of you and I doing this show that, you know, we're maybe bringing him back into the fore a little bit, uh, in terms of the, you know, documentary discourse. Um, but like he, you know, he, it, he's always there, you know, whether, yeah. whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and so today, the film that we are going to discuss is Adjustment in Work from 1986, the third film in the Deaf and Blind series, or hours six and seven of this nine-hour film, <laughs> if you, uh, if you, if you uh, prefer. Um, and this film <clears throat> pivots from from children to adults, from the children in, in blind and deaf to to adults, and uh, we can talk a, in a bit about the the structure of the film more specifically, but. But the film takes place in two locations, um, mainly the the E.H. Gentry Technical Facility and the Alabama Industries for the Blind. Um, and uh, Mamber, in his journal for this one, says uh, he, he calls this film, interestingly, like uh, less like People a doc film. Yeah, he says it's less like a documentary and more like a series of like life situations and like little portraits and um, like you get little like life ambitions and, and stuff. Um and makes makes an important remark 
saying that the film does a good job of assuming that we've seen the first two films in a way that, mm-hmm. way that it, it just sort of like freely examines and builds on specific problems and issues that we, we saw there. So, which, which brings I, me to... The- I thought was interesting, though. Do, do you see what he's talking about there as, as being distinct from the other film, that this idea of it being like a, a, a life film, not less of a documentary. Like it, it, to me, it felt kind of relatively the same mode. Um, I, I, I made a comment somewhere. Um, so I'll, I'll, while I find this, um, and I'll, and I'll come back to that, I was going to ask you what what it was like because you had seen this one but you'd only seen this one what was it sure. like revisiting it now in the context of the series yeah that that's uh that's an interesting question because like um yeah being just not having the context for the series when i first watched it uh you know i'll talk later how i think my viewing colored blind and deaf um uh my seeing this film before those films but as i first watched it you know I guess it kind of was more, oh, this makes sense. This is kind of exactly the milieu I would expect for this kind of population, you know, like, like it, it's not, uh, doesn't seem particularly fulfilling or rewarding. Uh, uh, but you know, I guess there are institutions and systems that society has put in place to, you know, give people some sense of like, uh, having like a career or, or, you know, just having a daily fulfillment in labor. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like it's, there's a lot of opportunities for like growth or progression here. You know, I think it's pretty quote unquote like dead end. Um, but recognizing, you know, the limitations that, society puts on opportunities for the disabled you know i've i kind of saw it as like okay this this tracks more or less you know um but then yeah coming putting it in context in the series it's even more devastating you know i think i think it's it's not as much like all right here's the situation and you know it's not perfect but it is what it is and now it's more like all right here's the situation and it's definitely not perfect, but it also like doesn't live up to the promise that the previous yeah. two films seem to offer. Yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine um, because I found it pretty devastating. Yeah, um, uh, and we can talk a lot about it, but um, it plays like members talking about. It plays off of so many things that we see in like just really really uh brilliant ways um that it's a it's a really good movie it's so interesting like some of these more like uh unassuming i i don't know if that's the right word for the wiseman films that don't have like those those pantheon scenes because i don't think that this film really has one of those if 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 i'm being strict like there are definitely a ton of like really good meaningful scenes but it doesn't have like that like really interesting character or speech or, or, you know, um, and we don't get the jail scene, um, or the guest on speech here, but it, the way that he is building off of those first two films is just like really touching. And, um, and, you know, he's not like pointing at various things. He's just like picking up on 
or allowing you to pick up on things that you saw earlier, whether it's, you know, knitting, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a child like knitting something and thinking yeah. like, oh, that's, um, that's cool that they get to like do this in school. Like she's like learning how to do it. And then you see them like, oh, it's training to be a professional sewer. I mean, that's the cynical reading yeah. of it. Um, and I think definitely there's something to that. But um, yeah, well, I mean, in, in deaf, there's, you know, a literal sewing class like they're they're doing right. sewing instruction you know and and if you hadn't seen adjustment and work you know you'd think this is relatively benign you know it's <laughs> something something that can be taught in a regular public school as well you know it's just kind of a general life skill not kind of realizing the trajectory like okay this isn't just you know it's good to know sewing this is you will be sewing the rest of your life and you you got to figure it out now you know yeah yeah it's uh yeah there's there's a lot um going on here that um and i think somebody had told me um somebody who was watching contemporaneous to us doing this podcast um saying that they benefit from not watching them like in one go and i think that the 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 timber of this series like doing this like monthly um, thing has really benefited, um, that with this series, which is just like kind of allows us to really think about one individually, um, and talk about it. And then yeah. like in a couple of weeks, go to the next one and allows the, the, the things to really sink in from each one. And then, uh, as a result, like resonate pretty strongly on the next one. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I we'll get into it but like there's scant right if there was like not much out there on deaf there's like next to nothing on adjustment and work mm -hmm. you know and i think like we talked about you know people at the time seem to be considering the whole series or the first film or two in the series as uh, uh kind of a a single body of work and you know you didn't necessarily need to talk about uh, the latter two because you know people will watch it and discover it um, but the, yeah, the ability that this, uh, project offers us to like consider the film, certainly in relation, we're always drawing connections, but I mean, like to really hone down and focus on what's happening within the confines of just this film is, is, uh, it seems unique in the, the engagement, uh, out there. Yeah. And, and the film is also like it, I mean, it also has like a discrete like diptych within it, like the adjustment and work um, mm -hmm. itself, which is interesting too. So while it's like part of this broader constellation um, of the series and then Wiseman's work, but also it has like this uh, little, this thing going on by itself. Yeah, it's true. Cause like, you know, the, the corollary for each of these films is the individual buildings within the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind. So like first it was the school for the blind, then it was the school for the deaf. And here we actually have two, uh, right. It's, it's, um, what's technical what's facility and, uh, yeah, the EH Dentry. Yeah. Right. So like, and, uh, the next one multi-handicap will be about the Helen Keller school. Um, so like, you know, I think we know Weissman was there filming all of this at the same time and then later decided they should be broken up and i guess he's he's really breaking them up by you know these buildings 
um, and their, their distinct functions. But I, you know, I wonder if this, this diptych idea, you know, the, the industry's sequence is really like the last fourth of this. Most of it is, I guess, adjustment and adjustment and work, you know, uh, at the technical right. facility. So I, I'm wondering if maybe he just felt there, he didn't get enough, meaty stuff at the industries to warn its own film and he but i mean they do you know they do pair together in a in a way that is just natural you know one is kind of technical training and one is putting that training to use mm-hmm. and the first one has like also like pro- profiles a lot of what um members referring to there um so you talked about the how little there is on this movie, and we we only have one uh, contemporaneous review uh, that is specifically about adjustment and work. And even in the other ones, like you said, the ones that covered the series, nobody's really talking about this one. But um, there was a Variety article attributed to mm-hmm. Rich. Yeah. And it was from the World Film Fest in Montreal, um, and which maybe explains why it's much better than I was expecting coming from mm-hmm. variety. Right. Um, and rich calls the, uh, the series demanding. We hear that again. Um, and deeply involved. Um, and he points out the, the rehab professionals sympathetic, but matter of fact disposition. Um, and he also says that, that a perceived helplessness of the blind is something many of them most fear, but none of them have a self pity, um, which is important to to note um the review talks about uh, the common refrain to be useful so like to be contributing to something to society and um and rich says that the the film's most notable sequence is the street crossing the man right. uh, crossing the street we gotta walk up north court street gotta cross court cross at north street Turn right. Which time we have to cross Court Street, walk down one block. Essentially, what we're doing is going around the square. Okay, I got you. Okay, but you have to go around the outside of the square. Cross the on the only way we can get across to the courthouse, which is on your right side now. Uh, I, I cross the other street. I take a right, right? Okay. Right. And after that, after taking that first right, in order to get around the square, you would have to cross, make two street crosses and turn. Remember, all of your street crossings are going. All of your turns are going to be to the right. Right. Go up across one street, which will be North Street, and turn right. Okay. At which time you cross Court Street and East Street. Okay. Turn right. Cross North Street. Go down across Bow Street and turn right. Okay. Let me get to right now. I go up this street. I cross. Then I go across. I take a right. Right. Then I go down, then I take another right. Go across, take another right. After your initial street crossing, the very first street crossing, you will turn right. After that, you'll have to make two street crosses before you turn right again. Which which, uh, Rich calls a noble struggle for self-sufficiency. Yeah, I got the sense that he was sort of uh, using that scene as like a metaphor for you know kind of kind of like a synecdoche for the film as a whole you know this this striving for uh self-sufficiency and this 
balance. You know, we'll talk later about this idea throughout the series of independence versus interdependence, something mm-hmm. Snyder and Mitchell uh, really focus on. But like, you know, there's there's a balance here, right? Of like, we this this man wants to be self sufficient. He doesn't want to be a burden, but we don't want him. We don't want to see him hit by a car, you know. And it's like, like you know, there's there's a balance you're always striking between what's self sufficient and what's practical, and that can be expanded out into the whole film in terms of like, okay, the self sufficiency of the jobs available to the population here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how how um, valuable is it to be self sufficient for the sake of of self-sufficiency just by you know having a job to have one versus uh you know something more substantive in terms of career and labor and like co-workers and work environment and all these things like like is the there's there's a balance that needs to be struck that that everybody documented here seems to be trying to find yeah and i i wanted to bring up in the in the context of of this uh in interdependency the the snyder and mitchell article um especially since like so few so so few people have written about this film but um they they have a couple mentions of adjustment work in their piece and um but they they talk about how throughout the series you slowly see uh how independence is they as they say transformed into a bastardized realization of institutional dependency um, which is a result of them being siloed off from society and their family, like growing up in this, in, in AIDB. Um, and Snyder and Mitchell talk about how most of their interactions with other people uh, operate on this axis of power. So whether that's between uh, teacher and student or just, you know, the natural hierarchy of the workplace that we see in, in the last 30 minutes, um, there's just like, there's there's very little like repartee uh, or conversation between them like we talk uh, with our guest about um, and uh, uh, I don't it, it it's it's all kind of like building on something like the Peter and mother scene in death mm-hmm. I think um, where we get an example like like uh, in great Wiseman fashion like he shows us something very specific in Peter and um, his mother. Um, and we get to see what life is like for these two people, specifically for the kid uh, in the school for the deaf. And then lets that speak for in like abstract terms, um, what family life can be like for some of these people that are here that have been siloed uh, by being at this institution. Many of them have been there for a long time. And it's like, I keep going back to the dance party in blind as well, uh, which Mm. we talked about as like sort of this, this like epitome of community, like these kids with like, they're not trying, they don't have to learn anything here. Like they're just like dancing and they're having a good time. And, and it's just like very communal and and gleeful. Um, And then you know, slowly like learning more about what this life can be like as you grow up and then seeing something like, um, uh, Chris in, um, in adjustment work and getting to understand that family, like it all just sort of like resonates on top of each other. Um, but, but I think like 
to get back to the man crossing the street. Um, it's like this great, like literal and metaphorical manifestation of that inner interdependency because like once he's outside both literally and metaphorically it's a whole different world like so whether it's Mm -hmm. like chris chris like leaving um the uh institution to go get a job um it's and then he goes i write the resume and go down there with my cane and they change their mind (laughs) here is like the literal version of that is or Mm -hmm. I guess like metaphorical actually of like this guy trying to cross the street um, because he's outside of the institution. And like, we see them like know the halls so well in uh, the place. Like, you know, you know where a water fountain is or like in blind, like they're like, what's over there? Like, what's that sound? It's like, Oh yeah, that's the, that's the laundry room. Um, Like they've memorized this specific place. And then, so once you get outside um, it's just, different world yeah i think you know something we've talked about is like the just how the films really make plain you know you could you could say it's great that these institutions exist but one of their functions essentially is to segregate blind and deaf people from the rest of society you know um and like the opening shots here are similar to the opening shots in the previous two films, you know, showing the town and the community and different street scenes and businesses and, you know, residences and stuff. Um, but these are all shots completely, you know, ass- assumingly to the viewer, absent of the blind and the deaf, you know, relative to the rest of the film, which is shot at the Institute that is, of course, full of blind and deaf people. Um, except for this scene, right? Like this is the intrusion you could say of, um, the population at the Institute into the broader town, uh, community. And, you know, he, he inherent here are all of the struggles, uh, that goes along with that. And like the, uh, as represented just by like civic infrastructure, you know, the ways in which, um, it's just not welcoming to, to people, you know, like it's just, yeah. it, it's a struggle. It's, it's, it's something as simple as crossing the street is a struggle and not even just the act of crossing the street. But the, I think, I think it was Mamber who noted like, you know, the instructions being given, like, what does a street name mean to this guy? It doesn't mean anything. He can't yeah. read the sign, you know, yeah, he doesn't yeah. know the name of the street that he's crossing. So it's just like the schemas, which you know broader society uses to try and help people it 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 doesn't mean the same thing yeah it's interesting um i hadn't thought of it till now but like the similarities to a scene i mean i should have because it's in the same fucking chapter in grant's (laughs) book but um but but one of the things i i mentioned with when we had labuzon for that was like the uh you know the potato peeler scene is like um Bryce Dallas Howard leaving the village and like you kind of get the sense with the man crossing the street here of like in this world he's not he's not like quote unquote supposed to be in um like this is not the world for you like um uh I don't know there's just a weird like uh um boundary crossing there um but I wanted when you were talking about the opening shots of like the houses and stuff. I I, I well, I wanted to talk a little bit about just the first, very first shots. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the opening of adjustment work, uh, it, it immediately made me chuckle for like some extra textual reasons that uh, hopefully you appreciate. But I don't think I mentioned it on our episode of Blind, but I, I had talked on online elsewhere about how I, I had made the comparison between the shot of Jason and Blind and the shot of the train coming at the screen and, and the arrival of the train, the um, <laughs> yeah. Lumiere film. And um, it, it was less about like the sim- similarity of the, the scene's resemblances and more about like the importance each have to uh, telling us cin- cinema's basic abilities. Um, so on one hand, you have like the novelty of the, the train's movement against the audience's imagination or understanding at the time what cinema could do. Um, and... Uh, in blind, uh, and how Davy's like ostensibly like simple handheld shot, following a, a a child down a hall, is just like absolutely loaded with this importance for this child's just like daily life. Like so, like you're about to cry at the end of it. This like achievement, even though it's like something so small, it's just like walking through the hall. But to him, it's momentous, and you feel that. And it's just done by just Davy following this child. Um, and anyway, this film opens up with a shot of a train and and it's like coming, it's moving towards you. And I, so I started laughing. Um, but every film has uh, uh, started with a different type of transportation. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if, if somebody had written about that, maybe Grant did, but um, we got like the racetrack and the bus and blind and mm-hmm. the highway traffic and death mm-hmm. and now the, this train. Um, and then that goes to these like, uh, opening uh, exposition shots, um, which Leo Goldsmith talked about in his Not Coming article, but um, uh, but and how how they take a, a little bit more time uh, in this film than the previous two, but um, I thought they were notable for just being like more dilapidated and like clearly mm. low income homes than usual, uh, because before we had seen like so, some of these like big like veranda like southern homes, and um, yeah here these are definitely not and i wondered if that was wiseman just like foreshadowing like just sort of like laying the table for uh the subject matter here like that it is going to undercut that optimism yeah. like okay we saw this optimistic view and here are these beautiful homes um not that all of those shots were all about beauty or anything but um and now we get this like sad uh film this sad part of town where um not everything's great yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, yeah, there are a lot of kind of more modest homes that are like raised up on cinder blocks or something. Um, I mean, we still get some of the more kind of fancier palatial uh, homes throughout the town. But I mean, I think, yeah, it's 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 underscoring, okay, the like beauty or the admiration that you had for the Institute in the previous two films is probably about to dissipate some, you know? Um, and the, for me, the, the, the opening shot of the train, uh, recalled the, the James Benning film, um, RR or double R, um, which is just shots of trains, right. uh, ca- characteristic Benning stuff. Um, but the, you know, I think the, the, all these opening sequences underscore something I think that is probably true as far as the community of Talladega is that probably transportation and shipping is like a big part of the economy. And in fact, you know, the uh, arguably like the most, um, I don't know, like 
uh, entrepreneurial or like uh, what you know the 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 labor or business idea or concept that like seems to have the most fulfilling legs beyond just working on an assembly line is the the guy who's losing his sight and is wanting to open a vending machine stocking yeah, company yeah. well what i want to get what out what you're of, here for basically i'm, I'm here for uh, the bep program to start a vending machine uh business i hope okay now the reason why why i called john lowry was because i found out that they're putting vending machines on these rest areas on the interstate. Well, there's two of them, two of them down there at home, see. Uh-huh. And there's one about 32 miles on the Mississippi line from me. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that they're gonna put all three of those vending areas together, and uh, and you can make a pretty good living with those things, from what what I understand. Yeah, I think. And so I was want to get the training and see if I can get those those vending machines and start taking care of those vending machines okay and that'll be in at home too see where i won't have to leave home right and i think just kind of underscoring yeah the the significance of you know moving through this town for people you know it's it's not you know i i don't know we don't know but like I the sense that a lot of the students or the people attending uh, the Technical Institute probably aren't from Talladega. You know, they're uh, we we know this certainly about Peter and Def, right? They're coming in from all over Alabama. Um, so, like, like I guess the idea of the town as some some kind of way station, you know, or some kind of place to pass through. Uh, less so than to actually like build one's life um, seems seems to be a part of it too. Yeah, yeah. It seemed at least from the small uh, segment that we get to see in the walking scene that uh, if that's the downtown, it seems quite small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. the civic like courthouse block square kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <clears throat> on on. Uh, well, I think so before before we move on, I think yeah. it, it, interesting to talk about that scene in relation to, you know, Jason, Jason. and Charlotte, yes. Correct. you know, yes. um, and like, like the, we, we're denied the conclusion here, like characteristic for Weissman, but uncharacteristic for these scenes uh, up to this point is like, we don't know if he successfully made it makes it to the courthouse like when yeah. the the sequence is cut off and and we're left kind of having to interpret it it's so it's so brilliant like the the i thought was thinking along the same lines of like there's this play he's doing on the absence of outcomes where that we've talked about where you actually see the outcome of Jason's walk and yeah. like you get to see it all the way through to the end and it just keeps like building and um and that is very satisfying. And then he comes back here to this thing that's clearly re- resonant of that. And he's like, by showing us this thing without an outcome that is similar. And as Grant uh, says in his book, like Jason has a lot more work to do. <laughs> like, even yeah. though he we saw him achieve this thing, so like even though we got this like quote this outcome the uncharacteristic of of Wiseman, he like doubles down on it here and is like, or not doubled down, but like undercuts it here. And it's just like, there no like we don't we know so little about uh, Jason. For even sure, though we, yeah, even though, yeah, yeah. Um, 
on our blind episode also we 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 mentioned uh in all of the discourse uh arthur unger's christian science monitor review um which said that the the deaf and blind series demanded a new category which he called experiential tv mm-hmm. um and the first uh half here the adjustment half um is basically like all of that like it's sort of like the epitome of the experiential uh filmmaking you know we're just watching these minutes long sequences uh where people are just acquainting themselves with a with a room um or you know like the kitchen or um that other uh room with like the shelves and they're like finding their landmarks and and stuff um and i think on the blind up we we talked about um how how grant like framed the series as, as an attempt to transcend the ego, <clears throat> to transcend the ego excuse me and uh, and he talks about them as like a way to achieve a spiritual success through like the viewer's empathy and and just attention um and so far i think adjustment is like the best example of that where like um as just as we get to watch them feel their way around the room like as viewers were giving like the time to feel our way around the scene um Mm. in a cool way yeah grant grant says something you know a bit more broad i think about the films allowing us to experience the world as other people do you know Mm -hmm. and i think there is truth to that but i think there's there's also a bit more in operation because like we 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 are and we aren't because we could see them struggle you know we and you know i think about the instructor trying to teach donna just simple tasks like like putting the toothpaste back in the box right i remember how the box uh after you mash the tube it's a little different and you don't put it in backwards now look at the end of that and then look at your box let's lay your brush down till you complete one job at the time now look at those flaps back now how does that fit into that box are you fastened up correctly i am you sure the flaps on each side because this one's yours and you've got to come back and get it and look at the difference in how it looks now it did before like which is a, which the, had to have been a play on you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube right like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah totally yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. But like, (laughs) but just the idea that like our, I think our frustration as viewers wanting her to do this relatively simple task and seeing her struggle is um, different, uh, but related to the experience of struggling and succeeding that task. You know, I think like there's, there's something really, um, just one brief line that undercuts it right before they do the toothpaste thing mm-hmm. and the instructor is cited and she just says Donna, to your lab. you know something that for a sighted person is just so such an afterthought you don't even have to consider it it's just like oh yeah to the left right there right. but like for donna she needs to be told it she you know she can't see it and if this instructor isn't there who knows how much longer it would have taken her to to find it right oh, sure so like like we do i mean this is the case in any documentary but as viewers you know we occupy this privileged position that invites us to um empathize and occupy another perspective but at the same time we're we're still 
uh, guided and informed by like um, our difference between yes. uh, the subjects and us. We're put in in relation yeah. to them. Um, yeah. But which yeah, which uh, I think I think the continual effect is like you know to Grant to Grant's point is like man it would be really hard to to have this experience you know yeah that, that's really all not all we can think not having that experience ourselves is like God this seems this seems frustrating and difficult mm-hmm. yeah Mamber talks about the end of a line uh, instructor uh, sequence um, uh, the man like clearing the table and putting out dishes and. He says at the end of it, the teacher tells him. Okay, that's fine. All right, you're doing very well. You're improving. And he's like, I don't know about that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he has this good line I was going to read. Um, <clears throat> this kind of uneasy resolution, a difficult task attempted and perhaps partly accomplished is the tone throughout. Even when people do well, it gives us a sigh of relief rather than a sense of success. They're happy to make small bits of progress. While their determination is admirable, even stirring sometimes. It's hard not to feel the unfairness of life that requires these great efforts to live something like normal lives. And like, while reading that may sound sentimental, uh, like you remember that like Wiseman's experiential filmmaking technique is is not driving that point forward. Like he's not saying like mm-hmm. life is hard for these people, but he's allowing us to get there and to imagine what life w- would be like um, right. for them. And a- a- as a voyeur, like, you know, like you're saying, um, but which is exactly the case that I was talking about with Jason and, and the man crossing the street is like, that is stirring like that accomplishment, mm-hmm. but then also being able to understand how difficult that is. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, I think we're talking a lot about like undercutting. We're talking about the kind of bleak or, or despondency present in this film, uh, relative to the other two, but like the, I think it's significant that, you know, say for um, the scene, uh, the carpenter auto mechanic scene, right? William originally was with um, Wendell in work adjustment. And uh, at that point, William came to us and said that he would like to possibly try out a training program in carpentry and auto mechanics. He had an interest in both of those areas. So at that point, we called his counselor. His counselor said yes, he would agree to a tryout in a two-week tryout as a uh, carpentry helper and a two-week tryout as an automotive helper. So um, William went two weeks into carpentry, and at that point, he and... um, and Donnie, I think, talked about how he did, and then the instructor, Donnie, came and talked with me on how William had done, and uh, I think that was the same day that he came into auto mechanics. So, actually, um, Wendell, that's what our our goal has been, is to see, you know, his potential. We're talking about his physical stamina, his uh, ability to do the work, his uh, ability to you know, think it out and do it with his mind, intellectually do the work, and his attitude and motivation toward work. So those are the three things we're looking at. I know you saw those three things in the work adjustment area. So I will ask Mr. Holdridge to let us know how he's done in his two-week tryout in auto mechanics. Well, like I told you on the phone there, uh He's done all right, but uh, I don't think that we're looking at a feasible 
it's a vocation in this area. And <laughs> and we're this guy's dreams essentially are being undercut uh, by the you know administrators and and his instructor who are like right. i don't think this guy can hack it you know um we don't know necessarily how that ultimately plays out if he continues down these paths if he you know uh pivots a little bit but like i think the thing weissman leads us towards is like the ultimate outcome for all of these situations is in the last quarter of the film, you know, on, on the factory floor, like, like that by denying us the outcomes of all these individual circumstances, but then showing us that it's like kind of all roads lead to brooms and ties for the military. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's so overwhelmingly, upsetting to me um and it's like simplistic like er, in in the film's just sort of like quiet uh organization um to watch somebody like chris um who he was like a programmer you know he had like this data analysis training like yeah and to watch somebody like that who has these ambitions and who has gone to school for a long time and realize that like the only way like the only way to salvage any sort of like semblance of self-worth is to be a be a value to this sweatshop type situation um and to have it put so plainly by the people around him that his value is only as much as he can contribute to like society as a laborer. Um, Like to be able to get this like intimate little portrait of him. And then again, like let that resonate over all of these bodies that we see just performing this uh, dull labor, uh, much like we see in meat um, is just really uh, it's heartbreaking um, and then layer onto that, like you're saying, like the revelations about payment, how little payment they're getting and, um, that they're doing it for the military. Yeah. And then you get this great scene with, uh, AG Gaston come in, um, which we talk about with, with our guest, but it, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 and he ties it all together with this, like, or he ties a bow on it with like this whirring machine over the, over the closing credits. Like I think member said, like member talks about how, uh, and I mentioned this later that you're like marveling at, at the fact that people can do these things, even though it's sad. And he's like, you still end up kind of more on the side of like marveling that they can do them. And I felt the opposite way mm-hmm. where like what overrode that for me was like this, you know, the credits coming down and yeah. this whirring machine. Yeah. And it's just like, this is life day in and day out. Six, sometimes days right. a week uh, is life for them. Yeah, no, I mean, it. it w- with the flip side of like, you know, what someone might consider to be marveling at their ability to do this manual labor, uh, lacking senses, is... 
how many times did somebody burn themselves on that iron before they were able to do that? You know, how many times did somebody accidentally like put a nail through their hand uh, with the nail gun stapling brooms together? You know, Uh, it's got to be not insignificant. Uh, And, you know, you, you just think about the, what I felt was just limits. Like the whole thing is limited. It's a whole like life path towards this <laughs> i mean I, I i guess i already said that but like you know you you think about all of the education for children in the first two films you know like what does it matter if you know what a color is stand up sit down like it doesn't play any role here you know mm-hmm. what is right. what is it what is it you know i think something that is very relevant is you know like uh american indoctrination you know the whole like u.s russia is not russia thing is like (laughs) you know it's psychologically preparing you to be like okay yeah you know maybe all i do is this one rote manual task all day but i'm not in russia and no one's telling me what to do but like you know in effect it's the same thing because it's the only opportunity that's available you know like like the government might as well be telling you you're going to do this job because of the exclusion of the opportunities to do anything else yeah you have sort of this like you you see in that last uh quarter both like the ambivalent um like structure that they've been put in this like uh system like you said with these limits and then um so, you know, it's not Russia where they're like, you have to be here, but it's just like that inherent, that implicit um, limit that, that like society is putting on them. And then also you see on top of that, the actual like more malevolent, like manager based uh, stuff, like limits that they're being um, handed down, like in this great meeting scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as supervisors, though, you can ask the questions. Why are you out? Why do you need to be out? apply the pressure to them that supervisors should do. I think that's what you have to do. You can ask for these doctor slips and they're going to provide them for you. You can apply pressure to them. You can be unpleasant about it. You don't have to be nice if you know they're just laying out. You also have to keep in mind we're working a bunch of sick people. These people are sick. They're not, some of them just lay out, I agree. Some of them are just lazy in some cases, but you got some sick people out here too. Well. I have to disagree. I think it's something, and I don't. I don't think many blind people would accept <clears throat> hearing that coming from you. <clears throat> that we are sick. Now <laughs> we are just people. Where the guy's calling them sick goes, or whatever, calling them sick people, and um, trying to talk about. He's like, make them feel uncomfortable. Like yeah. you can do that. <laughs> it's like, oh wow. Uh, okay. Uh, and it's like, I guess, like, they don't have any other option. What are they going to do, quit and go work nowhere? Like- yeah, right. Yeah, the, the the guy is pushing back. Willie, you know, he just really takes exception to that characterization. But, I mean, I think, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle of their stances, right? Where it seems like, along with these physical disabilities, like, there are a host of, you know, understandable, like, 
uh, substance abuse issues or mm-hmm. like mental health issues, you know, that like pe- people do have these With literal il- illnesses, you know, but like that, that, um, I think John mentioned it when we talked, like, you know, that could come out of any kind of labor situation like this, you know, of course you're going to turn in the bottle, you know, after <laughs> eight hours, six days a week of like cutting bristles for a broom, you know, like, yeah. Um, so like the, the ways, but they have, they have to, f- it's this like constant fight of like having enough people to staff for this very labor that makes you so depressed that you don't want to do it and you just don't come into work, you know? Like, right, like, right. So like, like how, I don't know that I, I feel like they should be, that should be giving them some kind of hints, you know, of, of how to make this program work better but it seems to just be like well why isn't anyone coming into work yeah yeah and i'm sure that guy's like well this is my job like i'm in here to do this and that's what i'm gonna do like that yeah thing and it's interesting too i mean he willie's blind you know he's advocating for the blind the the guy we get on the floor talking to some people in, in gas. And I think he's blind too. He's like a manager, some kind of floor manager. Um, but like, you know, uh, like a lot of systems, the way people are sort of artificially, uh, or superficially elevated, you know, above the people who would who may otherwise be colleagues or peers, you know, and oh, how, yeah. how that like operates, uh, hegemonically to continue to like subjugate the workers uh, on an ongoing basis because there's this kind of dangling carrot of like keep at it and you could get this manage- managerial position you know you can work in the administration um, but like you know as we know there are only so many of those positions and you know how, how likely are you to advance there yeah it reminds me of the uh the grant line in the, in this chapter where he, he says that this series specifically, um, minimizes the easy pleasure of spectacle. Um, Mm. which again, like when you're left with just this worrying machine, like it is, um, I I think that that's a great way to put it. But, um, I do wonder when we're talking, when we're thinking about like various career paths and possibilities, there is like one consideration of like, it seems pretty cush comparatively to be an instructor yeah. and but although that's not like that there there are so many instruct there are only so many instructors um and uh i mean it's the same way that we talked about like and i think grant mentions this too the guy who's just working in the deaf episode in the jail working like the concession stand or whatever right uh, the new yeah, yeah. the new stand um yeah. and how like that is more the more likely uh, possibility um but no no you know equally isolating right like yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's framed alone you know like um yeah you're right i mean being an instructor seems like the best outcome uh, available for, for also these students. seems very difficult <laughs> right yeah yeah but i mean you you know like like we said there's the one guy with donna and brendan and david that we don't we don't even recognize to be blind until the end of the scene just because yeah. he's he's so it's adept at his role yeah um yeah so I, w- I wanted to talk about um this expound a bit more about this like absence of outcomes uh as it relates to this 
uh, series or, the, or this film. Um, so we talked on the store episode about that great passage in Benson and Anderson's book um, on the absence of outcomes and, and how integral Wiseman denying us outcomes, uh, it, like how integral that is to the fabric and how it alters how we watch and more how it situates us from the conventional Hollywood narrative fil- film filmmaking and adjustment work is, is just a bunch of these. Um, which goes back to, to Mamber's comment that it's less like documentary filmmaking and more like a bunch of short life situations and profiles because none of those have outcomes. Um, and in, in one sense, there, there's a certain outcome when compared to the children in the first two films, but that, you know, that's purely suggestive and like open-ended. Uh, it's not like we're, we're getting... Uh, updates on the kids' lives in the future. But um, but in a more granular sense, we get all these scenarios about people's attempts at employment, and we we don't ever know what happens to them. And similarly, in that big work meeting that we were just talking about, a discussion about how to deal with absenteeism breaks into this debate, um, and there's absolutely no resolution. The guy's like, well, basically doesn't give an inch and it's like i'm gonna keep calling them sick people like that's what they are sorry like we're not gonna see eye to eye on this and um uh which is just you know all about the absence of outcomes like we don't leave that meeting being like um well i guess they figure that out (laughs) i guess i guess willie like really got got to him and he understood um uh but sort of like in the abstract what we're talking about here fits again into like this idea of like vertovian cinema um like showing us through montage like our relationship to this world um and i i wanted to read a a quote from vertov that that i think is interesting to reflect on uh, with regard to this series cool if you will indulge me i would love to he says uh the movie camera was invented in order to penetrate deeper into this visible world to explore and record visual phenomena so that we do not forget what happens and what the future must take into account. But the camera experienced a misfortune. It was invented at a time when there was no single country in which capital was not in power. The bourgeoisie's hellish idea consisted of using the new toy to entertain the masses or rather to divert the workers' attention from their basic aim, the struggle against their masters. Under under the electric narcotic of the movie theaters, the more or less starving proletariat unclenched its iron fist and unwittingly submitted to the corrupting influence of the master's cinema. The theater is expensive and seats are few, and so the masters force the camera to disseminate theatrical productions. So, well, I think uh, he really gets on his high horse at the end there. Um, but uh, but like I said, I think that this series is doing exactly what he's proposing, like penetrating deep into this world, recording uh, visual phenomena, and and through the edit, letting us explore it. Um, and it, it's interesting how well Wiseman's sensibilities and practice fit within Vertov's comments about like how capital bastardized cinema. Um, we talked about, and Barry Keith Grant mentions this too, how in the last two films, he's like sort of cheekily showing the, you know, the dilapidated cinema house or like the movie, uh, rental store or whatever. And like the monetization of the ET dolls, Wiseman is like (laughs) announcing his cinema as the opposition of that, like Vertov is. And, um, of course his movies were, were broadcast on, on public television and, and not shown in a movie house except in festivals. But uh, specifically with the Deaf and Blind series, it was created with the MacArthur grant like we've talked about. 
So uh, who knows if, if CPB would have funded him. Um, uh, we get the sense that it's very likely they would have said no uh, to four films like detailing this minutia yeah. of the institution. So um, while capital is still very much a part of, of Wiseman's calculus to be able to make the series – it's it's not a part of the calculus of like the film's performance and like how the mm. audience is, is gonna um, for sure engage that that doesn't impede him from making it cool yeah a, uh, well a lot a lot to think about there um you know i think obviously man with a movie camera but you think about that or, or something like enthusiasm um mm-hmm. and it's like you know it, it's exactly right he, he can cinematically like valorize and idealize labor precisely because of the context of building you know communism in the soviet union at the time right like it's it is not this subjugated thing it's some it's collectivized and like it's not labor to build capital for some capitalist right like like but here there's no opportunity for that like like right. uh, you know and, and as we talk later like you know the the guy says proudly to gaston like but everybody here makes minimum wage or above some of them with fringe benefits are making as much as five dollars and a quarter an hour uh, and, and, yeah, well, with fringe benefits, some of them are making up to five twenty-five an hour. I, I looked it up. Uh, I think minimum wage in eighty-four was two sixty. Uh, that sounds right. So if they didn't, yeah. if they didn't have the benefits, um, that's how much they were making at the time. Um, but like, you know, that there were some shots uh, in the industries from Davy particularly like of um kind of fabric being spun and woven by these machines uh that did make me recall of like some (laughs) of the worrying machines and man with a movie camera you know but like the context completely changed the meaning uh in either case yeah you know like and and you know i I really liked those shots um they were they're pretty artfully done um but here it's it's not uh anything like that's buoying or that that celebrates the worker it it uh does the opposite right it it like uh it's a worker's lament more than anything you know yeah again it's just like showing the complete alienation of uh contemporary living because Um, the whole the whole like those early those beer films that everyone references is about you know the achievements of labor you can the fulfillment possible through labor in a communist society you know Mm -hmm. like like you you can achieve societal good personal fulfillment you know through your work because everyone we're all in this together right right. yeah um and this is like we're all (laughs) in this together and we don't talk to each other and we're all in this together because we have no other option and like we have no concern I think Weissman, like, really deftly in the editing, you know, there is a sense that there's some kind of assembly line here because, like, you know, everyone's doing their one job, their one, like, manual task of making the broom or sewing the ties or whatever, but we never see anything get handed off. We don't have a sense of, like, the progression like we do in Meat, you know? We see 
the carcasses processed, going right. down and processed, you know, bit by bit and, and see the whole uh, sequence of that here. It's completely disjointed. We just like jump around from like broom to tie to mop, you know, and like, there's no visual or narrative relationship between any one of the laborers and their tasks. So like visually and thematically like backing up this alienation idea uh, even more so. Yeah, and 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 just like, just like the way that Meat was interested in what the American dream was at the bicentennial uh, of our country, um, this is very much about what Gaston is talking about with achieving the American dream and um, what that like rhetoric, like actually looks like i guess um yeah you gotta wonder like what the gears turning in his head in that scene are he's like i bet i could sell these guys like a bunch of injury insurance you know (laughs) or something like yeah yeah, right like yeah because you know that is his like mind is like entrepreneurialism and yeah and like he was probably you're you're 100 right like he was probably thinking of it much less about like from like an empathetic view of like Oh, what must it be like for these people? And much more from a businessman point of view of just like, oh, this is great business. For sure. Yeah. The low wage workers, you know, uh, doing manufacturing that you're going to sell at an upscale on a cushy government contract. You know, he's like, check, 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 you know, like. Right. And Wiseman's film is doing the exact opposite. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like, yeah, the, uh, I mean, beyond the Institute, yeah, that the idea that this is all to service the military is like such an interesting and insidious idea to the degree, like we said, the government contract mandates a certain percentage of blind employees as if, you know, further entrenching this as being the only option for so many of them, Mm -hmm. because they have to have that contract and they have to have their labor to do that. Yet they're only making minimum wage, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. So like they are essential to the operation of the entire, you know, endeavor. Um, but they're the, the least compensated uh, for it. You know, I, I, I'm not afraid to say it. I, I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> Whoa. Bold, bold. take. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, you know, flip it around. Like, what would this have looked like, you know, following the revolution in the Soviet Union? Like, like uh, you, you could see it working much more equitably, right? There, There is a way that, you know, these workers could probably be a bit more self-deterministic and, and participatory in their entire institution where their labor is exploited. Um, you know, it's not impossible that, that they could be doing the same jobs and be more fulfilled in doing it. But the way the system's set up, it is impossible. Yeah. It's interesting that we're, we're marking these distinctions between like within the same method, the Soviet cinema and Wiseman cinema, because within this series, there is so much about how this is not Russia. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that yeah, was totally, very much a part yeah. of the life. Yeah. 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 No shit. <laughs> if, it, if it was, it'd probably be, you know, a little better for these. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, the per- perestroika era, I guess. Um, but, but even still like the, 
Yeah, and and the, the again the way that it's just like this internalized uh, American ideology operates here is like just so insidious. Like it's working exactly as it's supposed to, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. So I, this this is the uh, the ideology versus the practice. <laughs> like it's right. It's all in alignment. Yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, like like so, yeah. Which is you know something. Uh, Weissman is very adept at, but I think like John Wilson, you know, is in usually lighter circumstances, I think is able to draw out like ideology and societal functions from these like oftentimes like commonplace or quotidian subject matter, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in, in really like skillful ways. Um, but the way you can just, um, draw a whole constellation of ideas and themes from you know, as he so often does in like the names of his shows you know how to appreciate wine or like how to uh c- protect your furniture or whatever and he just like goes out from yeah. there and spins out right it's, it's just like really cool that was a great segue uh because coming up next is our interview with john wilson um before that, though, uh, I am very excited to, to wrap this up with Multi Handicap. Last two hours of this series. <laughs> yeah, I told I told you, but uh, I oh, accidentally yeah. threw on Multi Handicap for ten minutes, just kind of absentmindedly, and then like somebody <laughs> says the words Multi Handicapped, and I looked at my box. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, hold on, I'm not supposed not supposed to be watching this one yet. But yeah, that just in those 10 minutes it it seems like that one will will hit hard um uh right. you know i'm i don't just show J- yeah. jason just running into a wall <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know you know but i have i have the sense that it will continue the undercutting uh that happened in in adjustment and work you know of of the sort of optimism we had in the first two films i mean you know where can he go from here you know what what's the further point he can make he sets us up so well in blind and deaf only to pull the rug out from under us in adjustment and work it's like what what conclusion are we being led toward if 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 one at all and and the ending of adjustment work is so poignant that um, it uh, it works with its it has its own closure yeah. for sure yeah yeah uh, echoing the ending of racetrack I thought too you know mm-hmm. like we're we're sweeping up you know it's right. this perpetual uh, sweeping up or labor of of uh, cleaning up things which I guess is weissman's task you know that he sets for himself how how does he you know clean this up and and make it nice for us to comprehend but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i i'm very curious and excited to see where where he takes us in this yeah. final film i know people are really high on it so i'm i'm uh you know um excited um you can email us at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com uh, for any questions or buying a shirt, as I'm sure you know. Um, but uh, yeah, anything else, Arlen? Two thirty an hour was the minimum wage. Two thirty-four. Uh, all right, even less. Thank you. You got it right <laughs> under. 
the wire. <laughs> All right. Enjoy our interview with John Wilson. Thank you. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with our guest, John Wilson, the creator of How To with John Wilson. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. This is uh, a cool idea for a podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for giving your time. Um, so we'll start with you the same way we start with all our guests, which is just kind of like asking about like your introduction to Wiseman and what kind of like initially drew you into his work. Cause I know you're a fan. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I, uh, I, I first started getting into like documentary, I think seriously, like a little after college, I, I, I moved to, I went to college in Binghamton and I took some doc classes there. And then I moved to Cambridge in Massachusetts and I would go to the library there all the time. Um, and that's where Zipporah films is like headquartered. So mm -hmm. the Cambridge public library had the whole catalog of his entire, you know, filmography. And I just burned through it over the course of, you know, mm -hmm. a couple of years um, just because you know, it, he was new to me and I knew he was local and, um, yeah, I just like, it, it became such a, um, a really kind of transformative period, I guess, like within the work that I was making. And, um, you know, he would always, he would come and, and screen his new movies at the Brattle and I would go and see him there and watch the Q and A's all the time. And, um, I follow, I tried following him home one night um when <laughs> i think it was after a screening of like like la danse or something or crazy horse i forget like what one of one of those and i you know did the q a and then as he was walking home from the brattle um i kind of walked up next to him and i asked him this really stupid question and he gave me a very terse answer um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was stupid in retrospect. I think it was just something like, you know, uh, like, do you feel like people react differently to the camera now mm -hmm. than they did when you started, you know, um, back then? And, you know, he, he was just like, <laughs> no. And then, <laughs> like, somehow started to outpace me. And then... <laughs> this is just like on the sidewalk or something? Yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. on the sidewalk. So. Um, and then uh, I just, I went home after that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I uh, yeah, you know, and, and I, I can't tell if it's like a, a silly question still. I feel like people ask me like a variation of that sometimes too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have a similar answer, you know, about <laughs> where it's like, after, after having done it so much after like initially asking him that it's like 
people are just going to be themselves, you know, no yeah. matter like yeah. what, what the era it is, it, you know, it, it, it yeah. is like if, if they're really theatrical, then that's how they're going to be. If they're really, yeah, earnest, that's how they're going to be, you know? And, and I, I feel like that's what he was getting at. I, I think, you know, in, in, in so many words. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I think, um, it, it's interesting watching some of how to and um, thinking about that that question because I think what en ends up happening um, a lot or like I guess I'll ask you if it does happen because it appears to but I think about something like <clears throat> the uh, in infestation home visit in City Hall where like you have this man who's like really depressed and like in a bad situation and lonely and he has this camera here and you get the sense that he starts sort of like performing for the camera, but, but not necessarily in a way that's like, um, uh, trying to hide something about himself, but, but really trying to reveal something about himself. Cause there's somebody there, there's a camera there that, that, you know, deems something important about him. And I get, I, I got the same sense watching something like, like the dreams episode where like, you know, you're talking to, to somebody about your dream and some of the people like have this platform then to just kind of like talk, even though there's a camera there, but like talk a lot about themselves. Yeah. 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 I think like a lot of, yeah, a lot of people, yeah. They ask like how you find these people that are like just so willing to open up and all this stuff, but it's like, you know, how many times have you been in a bar and they're, you're just talking to someone who just can't shut up, you know, and like, or, you know, totally. it's just like, like people just love to talk about themselves. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think about, well, you know, I think first, you know, it, to assuage you a little on your personal interaction, I think it's, it's a question Weissman's probably like heard a lot over the years. I recall yeah, like Studs yeah. Terkel asking him something <laughs> about that. So he's probably just... Oh, really? Yeah, he's probably just like, I mean, he's characteristically terse uh, in responses in general. And like talking to him is like trying to get him to go beyond those those pad answers. But like, I remember actually, you're the, you're the second filmmaker to come on. Robert Greene had like a similar kind of sidewalk interaction <laughs> where he just kind of felt mortified and shut down afterwards. Um, <laughs> but I, I think about like uh, the Bang CEO guy you know, oh, yeah. who's, like, performing very clearly kind of a persona. He's, like, has a purpose, which is, like, single-mindedly to sell Bang. But, like, <laughs> at the same time, it's very revealing, I think, about his character. And, like, there's there's truth in what he's saying in terms of, like, his own authenticity that, like, maybe him actually speaking explicitly about like his life or what he does wouldn't necessarily have the same revelations. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. Like he, like, yeah, even though that, that you see the cracks in the performance and that, that tells the whole story, you know? Um, right. And, and I feel like a lot of the time that that gets cut out of, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe just normal pop culture stuff, but like, like that's what I I love about like working in this format is that like I wanted to just try to remove as much artifice as I possibly could and and by by my presence being just as much a factor as theirs it, it kind of like it, it it makes it so that like like every like them not knowing where to look or or like like not knowing what part of themselves to to kind of 
to show is is all like kind of baked into it and it's it's not like i'm asking them to pretend that this situation is not like happening mm-hmm. you know which like if we're we're talking about you know your approach to Weissman's I think you know there's a lot of fruit uh we could we could get into about like similarities and contrasts but I mean just to start you know that's something Weissman never does right he's he never acknowledges himself in the text um he but yet he something about the approach like his his sensibility or like his perspective is always like very present and Im- impressed upon the viewer i think um in a way that's that's implied um especially you know if you've seen a bunch of his films and you kind of are able to kind of get a sense of that but like so how how do you sort of you know dealing in, you know the the whole objectivity you know quote-unquote debate is like i think you know your films are like very strongly subjective but they're also like objective in a way of like observing the world and reality that like everyone has access to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i yeah i like to to kind of kind of do that dance a bit and yeah weissman is very much you know, I, I like how kind of, uh, I mean, I, I love his format, obviously, but it's it's funny that I always, I'm always curious about how, like, no one's looking, like, directly spiking the camera and looking into it, you know, a lot, a lot <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. time. It does happen sometimes, but, it, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I feel like that's, that's one thing that I, like, lean into, like, obviously, constantly just, like, looking straight into it. Um, and... I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm I <clears throat> I love the way that like when I'm in a scene and I'm just filming something like the Avatar people, I love to just like treat that like as a fully Weissman kind of like section, mm-hmm. and then you know all the bits of kind of transitional B roll that he has like there are so so often like my favorite material in it, and mm-hmm. and I just wanted to kind of take all that candy you know and, and kind of like have it populate like the rest of the work but then yeah. like but then there's like the kind of nick roomfield approach where i love that <laughs> like he is he you see him as the sound recorder and yeah. he's often even just like like you're watching him basically bribe people to like be on camera or something you know like or you know pay them something it, it, it's like uh and I, I, I love how kind of, and yeah, I love how honest that is too. So it's like, you know, it's all these different documentary formats that I just like want to, or, you know, it's like approaches that I want to fit in. It's really interesting to think about the, like the interstitial or like lily pad shots in, in Wiseman's work. Like we, we talk about like how they're so unassuming, but a lot of times like doing a lot of heavy lifting and that is like, you've kind of like made that text a lot like you you kind of like uh use that to like you know uh bridge together things very like um very overtly you know using that like voiceover stuff um over stuff that is just like these seemingly like interstitial type of shots but um which brings me to to a question i wanted to ask um that again is playing off of the similarities but like um between you and wiseman but 
you don't do you don't do your own editing is that right or you don't do it all by yourself i mean i i have like i mean when i was doing it by myself before the show i i edited all of it um but then i had to kind of streamline it so i just like i have two to three editors like working on a given season um and a bunch of assistant editors but um the, the editors like i like they bring us like they're all like great artists and they they like they cut things their own way which i really like but i also have once we're in the edit i have like i am i am often just like i feel i, I feel kind of bad sometimes i'm just like <laughs> i feel like what they call like a, a frame fucker where you know like you're just like like frame by frame it's just like has to be like almost exactly to what this line is and you know like and like because of covid we were editing remotely with people in la and i would be on my own premiere system back here and just constantly combing through all of my b-roll and just sending them shots like one after another just to you know fill out these uh you know if we need a punchline for a shot or or anything so it's like a, it's a constant communication how do you find the balance between like like shooting stuff that is just b-roll and shooting stuff that is actually like driving the narrative of an episode or is that constantly a sort of like a dance that you're doing um it's when, when we're in formal production i i'm I, I i more or less like the days are more like i drive to a place in jersey or long island or you know up to you know midtown or something and i'll shoot an interview and then we'll go to another interview and another one and then i'll kind of go home while there are the three teams of three or four teams of b unit people shooting just randomly all throughout the city all day so i that's where like the division is but when we're outside of formal production it's it's all just like kind of a mix and um i have a separate timeline of all the interviews and then another timeline of just all my favorite uh unit stuff so when you go to like those three interviews those you've kind of like scheduled with like an idea that they're fitting within like um uh like thematically like those interviews are connected yeah like we have like there was we're, we're, we're doing an episode about restrooms this, uh, in season three right now and, um, like public restrooms and, you know, so I went, I went down to this one public restroom that was really well taken care of, um, in South Brooklyn. And <clears throat> that was, you know, that was something that we know, like we set up with the city, we know we have it. And then, you know, we go there and then something that we didn't expect might happen. And then we kind of take that exit uh you know if it you know yeah. if it reveals itself and everything is like very flexible all the time kind of has to be we have to we're like constantly dropping interviews because something happened that we didn't expect that we have to spend the rest of the day with i see Man, pu public restroom sounds like it could be a good weissman movie <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's like all, all these like i i, I like you know i, I think weissman's subject matter is is incredible but there's just like so many of my favorite filmmakers i'm just like man i would love if they did basically an like like a, a movie about this but in their mm -hmm. style and they're not going to do it so i guess i'll like, just try, <laughs> try to like like do, do some weird version of it 
Yeah, like, it's interesting, you know, going back to your influences, kind of, you bringing up Broomfield is, is something, makes sense that you, you brought it up, but I wasn't considering. I've always kind of positioned you, like, somewhere between Weissman, like, Errol Morris is, like, kind of a mobile Interatron sort of thing, <laughs> and, like, Chris Marker is more, like, essayistic approach, you know, but, like, sure. and it, it, it sounds like the um, Weissman was, like, post- film school for you that was kind of like your own adventures into docs I'm, I'm just curious i guess in film school or then also after like who are sort of who do you have in your constellation that that you you feel like you're building off of um yeah i mean i i discovered kind of kuchar in film school uh like george kuchar right. and like he was a major influence just in terms of i'm not you know his editing style i've never seen anything like it kind of before or after um, and I don't know, I, I, I feel like, I mean, Louis Theroux was a huge one just in his approach to his subjects and, sure. uh, the, I mean, I, I don't know why it took me so long to see it, but that movie, the endless summer, like, you know, I don't mm. like surfing at all. Uh, for sure. All right. Yeah. I mean, I do, I don't surf really, but, um, but just the, that, that, that movie like really took me over the edge hmm. and um, I really liked uh, I've just seen it so many times now and it's, it's just such a, it's just, it's got such a, he's got such a funny attitude, the, the narrator. <laughs> and he's, he's like always kind of commenting on what you're, what's happening, but it's also kind of staged, but also really kind of sappy. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I don't know. And just like a bunch of, I mean, a bunch of miscellaneous thoughts. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about your approach is it's, it's not rigid at all. It feels like you could kind of slip in and out of, mm-hmm. of different sort of uh, approaches and like methods and modes of documentary filmmaking. And, and it, it always feels like seamless and integrated. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, 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 that's definitely the desired kind of, yeah the intended uh effect i guess i mean like yeah like like something yeah because there's just all these fun things to do you know in 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 like like yeah like los angeles plays itself you know that that, like that being like such a huge inspiration and then like being able to i wanted to have that section in the scaffolding episode where i'm going through the history of scaffolding Mm -hmm. you know in in movies uh you know the, the like and just to be able to do that is so much fun. Yeah. I, I, there's there's a moment that I, I watched uh, while doing just some research before this. Uh, I was I was watching the um, the protective furniture episode, oh. and there, <laughs> there and there's there's a, a shot that has really stuck with me of when you go to the house with the Balenciaga shoes, I think, and uh-huh. and um, oh, the, I forgot about that. Yeah. The husband and the wife presumably and their child. And the way that you like frame that interview from like across the living room and they're like standing, but like, he's kind of like, he's, he's pointed like a skew. And then the daughter is like trying to get out of the room yeah. and she's <laughs> acting like a child that is much, much younger than she looks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's this weird, like discomfort, but he also seems very like willing to talk and they're, they're kind of. I don't, I don't know. It, it's, but, but you're asking them very traditional 
interview questions. Um, and you get to just kind of watch this whole scene and, and um, like see the geometry of it is it, just like so fun in a way that, that I really appreciate. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I love shooting that way. I feel like I, I, I love to shoot fully wide, you know, like as basically as all the time or as, as often as I can, because that's the most exciting imagery to me. I feel like I get really bummed out in documentaries when it's like really sharp focus, just like kind of like, totally. just like the heads of whoever you're, filming and it's like what is going there's so much information <laughs> like that we're missing around yeah. here 100 percent, yeah like i don't know yeah it's just like all these tableaus you know I, I think that's like that's kind of ulrich seidel like to me you know like the, you know like watching um in the basement or it's his paradise movies like I, I i love how kind of wide he is all the time and we just try to pack as much in there um because and a lot of the time people think it's kind of weird that it's just that I always just have, I try to just have someone standing and just have their full body in it um, mm -hmm. so that uh, you, their body language is, is like just as much as a part of it mm -hmm. um, as what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, it creates a tension like in the frame that, that like you said, is just really rich. Yeah, it's like to, I think that's like a, a technique I associate with like musicals, you know, so you can like kind of appreciate mm -hmm. all the choreography and, and uh, just the beauty of the dancing. But like, as you know, documentary uh, filming and representation is like its own kind of dance, I think. And, you know, I, I, I agree. I got really frustrated. There's there's a trend in some films uh, the past few years that are like, you know, shallow focus, like super tight on heads and people people talking and like it just and then you get them from the yeah, side where they're still looking yeah, ahead yeah yeah there's just yeah, yeah the, the, there's no context and it like it, it robs the frame and you know like the content of the of what's happening of like just like textural richness and and other revelations that might be coming about i mean i think you know so much of um what's enjoyable in the series and your films is just like seeing people and this is a documentary thing in general, but seeing people kind of in real time trying to figure out how to present themselves that aren't used to doing so, you know, like, what do I do with my hands? You know, something as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask, um, uh, you're like burning through these, uh, uh, Wiseman movies at the library. Like, were there some that like stuck out, stuck out to you, um, as like particular favorites? Yeah. I mean, uh i mean high school is obviously one of my favorites um i mean aspen is <laughs> just so good uh madison square garden was really cool but i i still only have seen like a really yeah. crummy, crummy <laughs> rip of that um or, the, or whatever the garden um yeah and i don't know i'm trying to think of some other ones let me see let me think of it's interesting that you had like that library source because so many people that we talked to that got into him like at an earlier time uh than some of us um had to rely on like bootlegs um a lot of times and yeah uh, it's so nice that you were that he was local and you just had that access yeah it was 
Oh, Central Park is so good. Uh, and then... Yeah, maybe like, you know, going off of Central Park and the garden, just like, you know, I think uh, New York City is a place Weissman comes back to over and over and like f- just mm-hmm. keeps finding really rich ways to engage with and like, you know, model is like chock full of these like sidewalk shots that like wouldn't be yeah. out of place in your work, you know, and it's just like, I'm curious what what you see in his engagement with the city and if there's anything you, you take away from that. Yeah, I guess I, I wish he engaged a, a little bit more. I guess I, I was really surprised by Jackson Heights um, like that, you know, for such a, a, like, it seemed like he's still really pounding the pavement, you know, even for such mm. a, Yoda, a Yoda type <laughs> kind of character. Uh, huh. And yeah, I, I, I that was one of my my recent favorites. That was so so good. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, I I don't know. It, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like I I love it, but I just I want just because I know he's not going to do exactly what I want him to do. It's you know that's why I just <laughs> want to you know try to just do it myself. Sure. <laughs> try it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, well, we can we we should move on to actually talking about the the title, <laughs> right? Right. Um, if you don't mind, um, yeah. So, had had you seen this one when you were burning through those? I hadn't. I, I, yeah, th- there were there were a few that 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 um, slipped through, but yeah, because I, I had seen multi handicapped, but I had not seen adjustment at work. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it's back when how how long is it? Like two hours mm-hmm. back, back mm-hmm. when they, yeah, <laughs> right. b- yeah. before they started to get really long. Um, and yeah, I don't know. You 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 guys have seen it before, I'm guessing. This was this was my first time uh, seeing. I hadn't seen any of these four until we uh, covered them. But Arlen, you had seen this one mm-hmm. like out of context before, right? Yeah, this was the only one in the series I had watched before we started doing the show. Um, so, I mean, it it was kind of, as we, you know, kind of talked about on the previous episodes, it, looming in the back of my head when we were watching Blind and Deaf, you know, is kind of, I, I had a sense of what was coming. And I think, you know, like we, we talked about in the Blind episode, it maybe undercut some of the, like, uh, wonder and optimism that a lot of people expressed about those two films Mm -hmm. just like seeing what this sort of quote-unquote like end result might be for you know is is jason and charlotte gonna end up just like you know punching brooms on the factory floor (laughs) you know like for all their triumphs in the in the classroom and in the hallways you know Mm -hmm. so like getting getting to it you know i i think it it validated those feelings to a degree. Um, But I think something that'll be interesting for us to consider is, you know, like I think there's an element in adjustment and work that they're dealing with a lot of folks who may be recently uh, blind or deaf, you know, or losing their sight or hearing or recently lost it or people who might have had an experience with it for longer, but maybe weren't, students coming up in the institute and you know weren't didn't have access to this kind of specialized instruction and i think we can uh as an example talk about like donna in the kind of 
painful scene of trying to teach her about counting quarters, you know? How many have you got left? Well, I got one, two, three, four. Okay. How many quarters make a dollar? So they're four quarters. Right. And so how much money have you got there? You have four quarters. How much is it in money? I have four quarters. Yeah. Just this one. How much is that? How many quarters make a dollar, Donna? There are four. All right. And how many quarters do you have there? So I have four. All right. How much is that? How many dollars? Do you know? 30 cents? No. Let's 50 go. cents? No. Here, Donna. The scene in Blind with another student, and they're doing much more advanced kind of currency exchanges and calculations on the fly. And it's like, well, if Donna was in high school at the Institute for the Blind, you know, she would have this down already. This would have been covered. Um, but so like seeing, I guess, kind of the lack in specialized education for a lot of people, but also probably the lack, you know, I'm assuming Donna just went to like a regular public school um, and maybe was neglected just because they didn't have the resources and like knowledge of how to educate a blind student. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, um, we're not sure if she has, like, a learning disability as well. Yeah. It's definitely a possibility. Yeah, yeah there's, like, there's, there, there, yeah, there, there's only, there's so little context for so many of these people. Except, yeah, except for, like, the one lady was, like. Did you go to school at ASB? No, I've just became blind this past year. Oh. Yeah, what? which is a great, like, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of good, like, reveals in this movie like through like you're halfway through a scene or like almost all the way through a scene and something like is revealed and you're like oh wow that really changes the dynamic like like that woman who's like seems to be not only like very buoyant um but like helping other students uh like navigate and they're like oh did you grow up here and she's like no i just yeah i've been like a year um started losing my sight um, or like during that money counting scene where that guy, the instructor is just like helping these two mm-hmm. people so like seamlessly. And then like you, you don't find out to the end that he's blind. Like he's like grabbing his cane. You're like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Which, which like, again, like um, to, uh, makes me think of something like the Avatar sequence in, in How To where like, <laughs> where, yeah, I mean, Wiseman does this all over the place where like you make certain assumptions at the start of a scene and then like mm. you get to actually like hear about people and um there are re- revelations made and, and it, it drastically changes your conception of, of of who you're watching yeah for sure yeah I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it is I, I, I mean is that what draws I, you to, to something like like what draws you to to go on a tangent like that in in whether it's that or like the Mandela effect stuff. Um, well, it's like, you have these, like, you have these, like, like environments where you approach it, like from the title of the film or, or, you know, like whatever, like, like, like with Aspen or something where it's like, okay, this is a movie about a ski town, but then the, like the farther away you get from that, the, 
the more interesting it becomes like within the you know the world like you know like whether it's a book club or you know the drink and draw like in in that Mm -hmm. movie um (laughs) and and then they start talking about sexism and you know all this Uh like stuff and and then like you know it's nice to have like yeah, it's always nice to have that kind of secondary thing with which I think that he's really good at, and and all all of his movies, especially this one, like I feel like the the themes unfold more and more, like the you know with repeated viewings or the more you think about it, like I feel like a lot was lost on me the first time I watched a lot of his stuff, like um like why certain things are juxtaposed with one another, or like what what the the kind of like what the real message if there is any like Mm -hmm. each film and like with this one i don't know i was i was thinking about what the i know he kind of like rejects like uh like you know boiling things down you know and like a lot of the time but um like the 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 guy that you know like when that that kind of sad scene in the earlier um when he this 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 one kid's boss is is uh, critiquing him and saying that his job performance isn't that good, and that the auto mechanic, kid? yeah, and then yeah. his, his boss is just like, and if he's being paid for eight hours work, he needs to at least look busy. Yeah, <laughs> um, like that. Like, even if you're not able to 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 do that much, like that's the most important thing. And then that kind of comes back later in the movie when you know, that I, I, I forget who it was. The guy is criticizing, or, you know, the, the, the guy, <clears throat> there's the one guy who's saying that all blind, all the blind people that he works with are sick. And, you know, that, that the one guy is rejecting that saying, you know, uh, like we aren't sick. We just like, like we just may not want to work. Like because the guy, I, I, I'm trying to think how to explain this, because the guy, the guy's like criticizing them for taking off work and and calling in sick, right? You know, like so many of his like employees call in sick, and it, like by the end of it, I was just like, oh, like this is just kind of about how, like a, a lot of the a lot of the work that we all do is very alienating and mm-hmm. um, unsatisfying. And to, 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 to criticize these, like these, uh, kind of blind people that, that don't want to, to do these really menial kind of assembly jobs, um, and somehow tie that in with their disability, you know, it mm-hmm. is, is weird because <laughs> it like, if you could put anyone in there and they'll probably want to call out sick. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that's the guy's whole point. He keeps saying, you know, we're not sick, we're people, you know, and I think it's interesting, well, a, a few things to talk about here. I mean, the, you know, the themes of the film and the themes of the series, as talked about in the Snyder and Mitchell piece, are really about, like, American individualism and this kind of rejection of, like, interdependence, mm-hmm. you know, and I think... You know, throughout this film, people are talking about, oh, they just want to feel productive. You know, they don't want to draw a welfare check. You know, they want to contribute something or pay their own way or, you know. Um, But 
society continually makes that difficult for people. You know, we got Chris who has been in college, you know, and is applied to jobs and gets interviews. And then when they see that he has a cane, you know, it's a different story, he says. So now he just wants to, you know, work in the sewing factory so he can have a job, you know? Um, But like the, it's interesting, this guy, um, combating this idea that blind people are sick and he's like very passionate about it you know he has this whole internalized thing too about i think he he there's a sense he gives that it's he sees it as like a generational issue like oh like workers today have no ethic or drive you know they just want to draw their check when it's like you know like you don't you don't see the the what you're talking about John you know this like just kind of pat alienation and like uh depression and like just mm-hmm. kind of a, a lowering of standards you know as as being a cause for some of this stuff and he even mentions like i think offhand he was like and up until 60 65 there were no chicks and you didn't have all his absentee. Like yeah, they, yeah. This was like unpaid labor until the yeah, mid sixties yeah. or something. And they were like, we still showed up for our job, even though we weren't being paid, you know? And it's like buying into, and I, I again, we're in like Alabama and, and Reagan's America, but it's like buying into this whole American exceptionalism, you know, American individualism, like hard work concept that, time and time again in practice just proves to like not be doing anything for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about that, that whole, like you need to, or he doesn't know how to look busy thing, which is just like so remarkable uh, because like, he's just kind of like, like blind people don't have what it takes to, to like live in like a surveillance society, I guess, like where you have to fake it all the time in order to be successful Mm -hmm. and to be able to just like, like, like sort of like you know say the quiet part loud like that is is uh just fascinating to witness yeah like yeah i was i was curious i mean yeah talk about like the the subjects acknowledging you you know this is kind of a i feel like this would be a a really interesting place to shoot because they you know like no one is really like fully i mean you know they sonically they are but like Mm-hmm. you know they're not really like self-conscious in that way um at all um or you know i would assume but right uh the yeah i also yeah i wonder if it's hard for the crew to like dance around them or if like the uh i mean i saw the microphone more in mm-hmm. in the shot I, in, I in, in this so movie too, yeah. and like than in any other white man I had the same note. I don't know what what that was about. I think the the walking scene, um, like the downtown walking scene, is particularly fascinating in terms of like thinking about the logistics of the crew because, well, one, you get to see a little bit in the in the um, in the reflections, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like where they're cutting and like um, to like get across the street before them um, and to avoid the mirrors um, and you know also not be in the way um, and you know, the, the whole thing is about like sound and trying to figure out what's around you and to hopefully not like impede that. Um, yeah. it, it seemed as, like you could feel the hard work of, of the crew in, on that scene. 
Yeah, you know, the scene we already talked about where it's revealed that the instructor is blind walking down the hallway, it it ends on a line, and he's like... Is that you, Brenda? And I was like, is he talking to, like, Fred and John, you know? Like, like he he senses somebody walking along with them in the hallway, like, are you... Or there's this one moment, this is one of my favorite moments in the film, I didn't see anyone write about it, but, like, there are these two guys just leaning against the wall in a hallway... And they're yeah. kind of like pay f- playfully elbowing yeah, yeah. each other, you know, just kind of poking. And like, I get the sense that they probably had no idea that that Weissman and Davey were there filming them. Mm. And then, and then there's this amazing moment where a woman is using the the wall as like her guide down the hallway, and she just kind of like feels over those two guys leaning on the wall as she passes them, you know, and they all are pretty unfazed by it i guess probably like a relatively common occurrence there but like like what you're talking about john just this the awareness is of of the camera is like probably like as minimal as it can be here yeah and i i just you know even as a viewer i wanted to like reach out and help you know but it must have, i'm sure it must have been hard like in in person too to just kind of live it all in real time like that whole like stuff on the street and like because mm-hmm. you 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 are like a adju- yeah like you are adjusting the soundscape or you know in in, in really subtle ways that, that could like change things but like i i also like how it, it like the, the the sidewalk scene i i really like the way that made made you think about the way cities are designed as well mm-hmm. like like the curb cut totally. how how that is like um kind of uh like it's like the curb cut i i guess you know it helps i guess for people that have things with wheels or I, you know that that like that is good for people in wheelchairs like that's it, it's like good for for people that have like this this one like like kind of handicap but then like it makes it more difficult at the same time for a blind person potentially because they don't mm-hmm. like yeah they it, it, they can't really maybe tell where mm-hmm. the sidewalk where where like the the street begins if if there's a curb cut yeah it reminds me of um in Stephen Mamber's like diary on this film he he has this this um line about how like Wiseman is so good at showing you something you you probably assume you already know and showing you how little you understand about it um just like through the minutia and stuff like that or watching somebody like try to memorize a room um in real time like that type of stuff where it's just like oh yeah yeah this like if you were to say in the abstract like oh yeah uh, this guy is crossing the street like you're like okay that must be hard with the sounds and stuff but but you don't think about stuff like the curb uh the the curb cut um Mm -hmm. and and like thinking about parallel traffic and all that type of stuff and you think too in talladega that has this institution right where where there's like a significant concentration of blind and deaf people you're like could could there be a little more like infrastructure or thought in the city design i mean i hope by now like i don't know how common it was back then but you know in san francisco all the crosswalks have like the little chirping you know as when you can walk um or there's like the 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 curb cuts here are um have this like textured you know bumping for your cane so you could tell you know like these kind of simple fixes that i don't know what the you know prevalence of them back in 84 was but like seem seem now to be like no-brainers 
Yeah, I, I, I saw a really funny one. Like, because uh, <clears throat> I think New York has the chirps and uh, most of them too, but there was like a one walk sign near uh, Madison Square Park that was like a, it was a, like a, a, a recording of a voice that wasn't like a robotic one. Huh. It was like of a guy that was just like, please, you know, please wait across the street, please, you know, and it, 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 that, that kind of thing is kind of rare. Uh, but I was, I was really surprised anyway. <laughs> it, it, it took me a minute to figure out, like you were talking about the titles of Wiseman's films. It took me a, a minute to like figure out what the title meant. Um, I don't know if I just wasn't thinking about it right, but just like these two halves of adjustment and work and what that means. Um, but, uh, it, the work half is, is, I, I don't know. I thought it was incredibly bleak. Um, <laughs> yeah. So to, to watch like, again, like there are these great revelations of like the military labor that they're doing. Yeah. Crazy. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Just like the blind. Yeah. It's, um, uh, yeah, totally. but it, it's, <laughs> but it builds off that, that first half of adjustment, like these scenes, like, like the Chris meeting, the the guy that you mentioned Arlen who's been in college and now is just kind of like whatever uh just give me something to do because whenever I go out into the field to actually like with my resume nobody wants to hire me because I'm blind um that that's a fascinating uh scene the way that Wiseman includes the discussion before he comes in and like how mm -hmm. you get their yeah. you get their perception of like his potential and like he's failing and not living up to that potential without any sort of like calculus about like why he's not failing and it is like he, he does have some family problems like he told me he was going to be out monday he had to go to trial his sister was murdered last fall and he's supposed to start the trial monday oh yeah okay um there's yeah. like these two very like different like uh poles of of uh potential and like lived experience yeah i also wonder if there's a like a tree like a a, tra a training academy for people that train the people there or if it's the same oh. place totally and yeah i wonder if like yeah what, there's like another like yeah it's like a russian doll there. like weissman like, <laughs> movie, yeah. like no that'd yeah. be really interesting like, <laughs> basic <learn>. training too <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. but like that that scene with chris you know and then also the scene we've we've touched on with the like auto mechanic carpenter william. you know protege yeah. yeah william is like these it's it's this kind of like uh technocratic nightmare of like these these panels kind of determining people's lives you know and it's like i think they all have uh good intentions and are, are operating you know trying to achieve success for whoever they're discussing but like there is kind of just like a base level emotional like response to it where it's like you know do do they get a say you know can they say no i really do want to be a mechanic right. and like i'll put the work in you know and like you know it's fine if i all i'm doing is stripping engines you know mm -hmm. all day like that will give me fulfillment like there's there's a lot being discussed and decided upon without their input um well one of or, the or uh, yeah. one of the ways that um these two halves kind of play play off each other in, in that regard is like um and member talks about this too is like as bleak as like the alienation of that labor is 
uh, in the second half, like you still are like amazed that they're able to do these things, like uh, particularly like the iron, like the hanging iron. Seems like yeah, that's yeah, stressful yeah. And, for sure. And it's like, uh, and and then like previously we hear this guy is like he can be an apprentice at best, and um, you have right. to wonder about like sort of that like um, being boxed in and like not thinking that they have the potential that they clearly have, but the only place that they're able to realize it is in this like sweatshop bunker. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is like, you know, the, we get a uh, Gaston from the end of death. Could you, could you, uh, could you serve more people than you serve in here? Yes, sir. If, if, we, had more if we had more space. Yes, sir. We could employ more people. Yes, sir. Very good. All you need is just some more money. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir you know doing yeah. a brief tour so it's like i don't know so yeah, you you said you didn't see death right john i think i did i, I like I, a while back yeah like this is <laughs> the because the uh, the older black man that comes into the factory at the end and that guy is showing him around is and is talking about how they'd be on welfare if it wasn't for this and they're like yeah they get 525 Def ends with that man, A.G. Gaston, who is like this famous entrepreneur, um, giving them all a speech about like the how there is really no handicap and like you can transcend that the way I transcended like the constructs of, of race in America through through business. Um, and it's just uh, it's so ironic in that like very Wiseman way to like bring him back after like this big speech about the american dream that they, they can achieve and like being like and look here they are like they're working in this factory and he's like oh cool and uh could you fit more could you fit more of them in here yeah <laughs> like, this is yeah. this is yeah. the dream it's like beautiful yeah. you know like it, it, it's insane that he can you know it, it kind of makes you think that everything you espoused in death was like bullshit right because <laughs> right. it's like like if you truly believe there's no handicap then you would see this this group of of mostly blind it said they said they have to have like 75 percent blind uh workforce mm-hmm. to maintain their government contracts you see them and you think like you know they could be doing more than this right <laughs> not like perfect here we go yeah. this is what we're talking about right like yeah like work yeah like the all the all the like t- training machines they had to like before they got like placed in a job totally. were so Valspar. cool yeah. like yeah like it, it's it's so interesting to see work reduced to its most basic components just like just gestures you know, just put you think about the on. box like the upper extremity mobility box now you're ready to work on the next section this time you'll be working in the top panel Left of the box. Top panel, left of the box. Top panel, on the left hand side. When I tell you to begin, pick up one nut at a time from the nut tray with your right hand, Uh then reach inside the box and place the nut on the bowl and screw it down, finger tight against the top panel. Again, keep working until you have placed the nut on each bolt in the top panel. Remember to work as fast and as accurate as you can. Work only on the top left panel. Top left panel. Okay. Okay. Any questions? No, no, I got that's on the top. Okay, that's all I need. Ready? Yeah. Again. 
that they show Chris working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early I, on, you so know, what, what was up with that? Like, why? Like, what, what was exactly right? It's like what, you know, like, I what, guess it's testing some kind of just like manual dexterity, you know, or training your ability to screw things. But the idea of it being in a box, like for somebody who already can't see. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. What's the point of it, you know? Um, and, and then that, the the evaluator there is then the guy in the meeting scene who's, you know, at, at times it just felt like they were dragging this poor guy, you know, t- talking about all his deficiencies oh, yeah. and everything that's holding him back, you know, but like... And he's sitting like, there, it's like, I, the, it's like the Arrested Development, like Zumo, like he could have done that here. It's just like, and he's yeah. right here on the other side of the table. Yeah, and like, yeah. like the, but like, is, is are all these conclusions being drawn by like his ability to like screw nuts and bolts? You know, like, it's, yeah, it's like, like wh- boxy can't how instructive into. is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's that's what I yeah maybe that's what's like inside the box in in uh what's that movie Dune? You know that movie? <laughs> <laughs> right, the infinite pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like can't screw it in (laughs) (laughs) what's the oh yeah we get that great like tour guide which is a which is a great like thing that wiseman uses a lot to give us information um the rest area those people working there they start david the um people they work they start at eight o'clock in the morning they work on up in the morning like two hours, and then they stop for a little rest time. I think it's at 10 o'clock. You understand? 10 o'clock. They come in here for like 10 minutes. They sit out. They're smoking a cigarette. They go to the restroom. They'll eat a little something. They drink a Coke, get some water, rest just a little bit of time, and then they go back to work again. And they stay at work till like 12 noon. They stop work for lunch. They come in here, they eat their lunch. They have 30 minutes. Uh, eat lunch at 12, finish lunch at 12.30. And they go back to work again. They stay at their, their job. They work, 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 like 2.30. They come in here again for like 10 minutes rest time. And they go back and work again. They stay at their job until 4.30 in the afternoon. They finish and go home. They do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, sometimes on Saturday. And that's work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one, one like little training device I wanted to call out in the end of that kind of like all these different little machine sequences is there's a guy at a station and there are like these two vertical poles and he just seems to be like sliding pillowcases yeah. on uh-huh. top of it and then sliding them off. Yeah, and just taking like fitting them. Off. them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, what what is being like? What is this? You is that know? Like, like steaming or is that like is that like I don't know how laundry works, but like, is that like <laughs> pressing or like steaming something to like? I don't know. Like speed steaming? Oh, yeah, I was trying to figure it like out. Like it, it all seems like you know. I guess you know. This is just again like the alienation of like American like assembly line work, but like you know, training one motion over and over again. You know, you're doing this one thing all day, every day. You know, I, I, 
you know, I, I did look it up and it seems like the, the industries for the blind is still, you know, making military ties. Uh, it said in 2006, they expanded to combat helmet covers and nice. jet inkjet printer cartridges. Um, but you know, when I first watched this, I was thinking like, all right, this is the mid eighties. Like, you know, NAFTA is in the, off in the horizon, you know, I'm wondering mm-hmm. how much of this like assembly line manufacturing actually stayed within the facility or, or was contracted out. Right. Yeah. It's bleak. And it, it reminds me of, uh, we had on Jessica Kingdon, uh, who made Ascension last year. And, and it reminds me of a lot of the, the Chinese factories she was in of like, whether it was like iPhone accessories or like sex dolls, like yeah. the, like, yeah. The juxtaposition. That was the, the best. Yeah, that was that was my, that was my, my favorite movie last year. <laughs> nice. But that, um, that like juxtaposition between like something so scintillating like sex doll or like something so big like military warfare and just reduced down to these gestures, these like repetitive de- gestures. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, like when you're, you have all these blind people making all this military stuff, it's like, <laughs> it's just like it's like that movie um what was it the prestige you know how it's like how it's like hugh jackman i think he has like he has all only you know those blind stage hands oh, i forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> so that they don't like they don't like real right. secrets or whatever <laughs> it, i mean but it's interesting using like the ascension example it's like you know in the sex doll factory like co-workers were helping each other they could kind of oh, joke right. around you know i think that was the case in some of the other factories we saw too but like there's like no interpersonal interaction on the on the assembly no. line here there's... like everyone is siloed you know mm-hmm. doing their one bit of you know stapling the brooms or you know like uh sewing the ties or whatever like there's it, it seems very like in, increasingly isolating and alienating of course because of their disability right it's like right you know e- even even further and and yeah like you said sean just like very bleak but they have a march they have a martial arts room there i saw oh really and it, w- w- one oh, of the rooms said martial arts <laughs> and I, th- I, was, <laughs> I was upset that we didn't we didn't go we didn't peek in there have to ask Wiseman why not, or if he shot <laughs> shot That's some. Interesting. That was that. Next time you see him on the street. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> stalking him. But there. Yeah. Those shots. Some of them look like, especially with uh, like like linens around. It looks like they're in like this bunker. Um, but uh, there's this great shot. I, I was talking to you about it offline there, Arlen. But um, of like the break room because there's a lot of shots these interstitials yeah, yeah. of people walking in and out and you you get the break room which is you know a break from work and you get people walking in and out and then he just lingers you you have like the soda machines on the right and this guy just like sitting at a table alone just like with his head dangling and there's just yeah there's no camaraderie um and it's just very lonely <laughs> yeah yeah it reminds me of like that what was it? A Sharon Lockhart movie, that like lunch break movie. Um, yeah, just like the yeah, like a, a break can be really sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, but like the it it's interesting too. Just staying on that for a second, like uh, of course I think it recalls the break room or the rec room in racetrack. You know, we see 
Um, but like, so this like finding the recreation here, you know, the previous two films had a lot of recreation just by virtue of it being like about little kids, kids mostly. Right. right. You know, and like, or gym class or stuff like that. But, you know, in the workforce, you know, that looks very different. And like, so it seems like here we get like some arcade games and I guess they're playing a record of, foreigner song double vision which you know another sly oh. like little weissman joke <laughs> well, i guess so like you that. know the the blind people have the music and the deaf people have the video games i don't know but then there's also a bit later on like this cafeteria you know lunch break uh, sequence where again it's like yeah particularly even for this like normal situation like feels isolating a lot mm-hmm. of people sitting eating alone doesn't feel like a lot of conversations are happening it's just kind of like another uh step on the assembly yeah. line yeah it's not the lunchroom in high school where they're like super involved in talking um right yeah. but yeah um are there are there Things that you wanted to uh, hit on, John, that that we haven't talked about. Uh, let me see. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of it. I feel like uh, you know, making brooms actually looks cool. Um, <laughs> like it, it just like it looks cool. Uh, yeah. But you know. I'm sure it can get really tedious. There's, there's a there's, there's a good line in, in Barry Keith Grant's book where he like talks about how those interstitials in Wiseman's work are like so often about the janitors doing that work mm-hmm. and and how they reveal like social uh, like class and lines between like you know janitors and doctors um, and here they are like actually making those tools and then we like the last thing we see is somebody just like sweeping up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. That that speaking of the brooms, there's like this one shot of this guy like sticking it in this weird like rotating yeah. kind of buffer machine. I'm not really sure what was happening there, but it made me think you know, the first kind of like student we see is this guy kind of navigating a room, you know, walking around and he's being instructed on and he's like, I had to find my chair first. Okay. I have to find my landmark, man. Very good. Huh? Very good. Uh, I didn't mean that critically, but that's, that's fine. I just, you're, you're absolutely right. You need to keep up with your landmark. That guy's missing a pinky. And you think like, oh, (laughs) was there some kind of accident here at some point? And you think about like, yeah, you know, we were talking about the iron, but just like kind of the the probably practical realities of having a bunch of blind employees in like an industrial situation uh, make it is it is a little anxiety inducing. Yeah, it's some really scary machinery. So even if you know, even someone with all of their senses, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's right, really, yeah. really scary to be around that, that stuff. Especially, yeah, that's why the bouncing iron is so scary because that is like not a stable thing. And you, when you're like moving, you're doing the same gesture all the time, and then you have this unpredictable, uh, hot thing. <clears throat> have you guys ever worked in like in some kind of assembly type situation? Um, I did like, uh, I, I lasted like two days in a pizza place that is in my hometown. (laughs) That was like, the guy had like this reputation for, for being like a hard ass. And, um, and I remember having to do, you know, 
dishes and like uh actually the guy that trained me was mute um and so it's funny that that uh you, you asked but um so it was hard for me to understand what to do and um and i'm like doing these dishes putting them in the dishwasher or the dryer you know dishwasher dryer thing and this this boss was just like how can you not pick up this thing and put it over here after it comes out of the dryer and i'm like like I'm 15, my hands are like <laughs> soft and like not callous like yours. And he's just like, no, you just move it. I'm like, I can't pick that up, like burning my hands. Yeah. But I think that's about it for me. Yeah, I, I was um, a commercial PA for a while in Chicago, which is, you know, a different kind of thing. But, you know, breaking up and setting down every day becomes pretty routine and mechanized uh, in a certain yeah. way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and and I also uh, did like bo- uh, juice, like fruit juice manufacturing, uh, where I was doing like for for um, fountain machines, like a bag in box. So I have to like glue the boxes together, fill the bags with the juice, put the juice bags in the box, and like slap the connector piece on. So. Yeah, but I mean, at least in those, uh, well, not so much in the PA. In the PA, you know, you're you're talking to people a lot. In the juice box, I at least had an iPod to keep yeah. company. But yeah, now that I remember, I worked at a college cafe in high school, and I would my favorite day was when I got to make PB and Js, and it was just like um, <laughs> it was that assembly line, but it was like um, you didn't have to interface with anybody, which was nice. But um, ha- have you, John? Um. Not in like I guess the super traditional way. Like I'm one of my good friends. He worked in a shoelace factory. Uh, he's also a producer on the oh. show, and, and that, that I thought that was always a really cool <laughs> uh, little thing to have on your resume. But I, I mean, I, I worked like I don't know. You know, there's this in, just in like a, a deli growing up, just like constantly stocking things. But like uh, there, like I did, you know, like art department stuff for just weird commercial things for years and just having to put you know a job where you just have to spend a week putting thousands of beads on these strings you know just like, <laughs> yeah. and sure yeah you can like talk to people and it's like you know fine sometimes but yeah you just like get into this mm-hmm. kind of trance <laughs> right well i mean i think too as we know like and kind of mentioned earlier like the concept of just like American manufacturing has changed so much since these films were made. Um, and, and, you know, the by and large, you know, the like automation manufacturing factory. Yeah. It's just like, not, it's not present like it is here. Yeah. yeah but yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's work. <laughs> that's work. <laughs> well, well, um, Thank you so much for for coming on, John. This was uh, really a treat um, to uh, to talk about this work with somebody who does uh, something similar. Yeah, thanks for asking. This is this is my favorite stuff to talk about. Uh, so I'm glad cool. there's an extremely niche podcast uh, <laughs> uh, to, 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 do, it, to do it on. <laughs> Well, you know, one one thing I want to definitely point listeners towards is is you know your short films from before the show that are up on your Vimeo channel, and there's there it's cool to see in kind of an evolution of your your style um, leading up to the show. But like, you know, the one that really stood out to me is like particularly Weissman esque, and I think you know kind of 
breaks with your usual format is the how to how to react act in reality tv you know which is like almost pure weissman you know in terms of how you know the documentation technique but also like this implicit examination of like group dynamics and how you know this wanting to be on reality tv is used as kind of like an entryway into just like i don't know like american depression and like socioeconomic circumstances you know you could really feel like the desperation of some of these situations yeah yeah i that that was i definitely took major cues uh for that one and just like yeah i was thinking like do i need to narrate any of this and it's like no this like this is really rich i like the you know he has a lesson plan you know so it's it's like you know like how you were saying like weissman like i'll use a tour guide as a device to to, mm-hmm. to do the work you know it's like someone else has, is already saying everything you know yeah well uh i think that uh we all will look forward to season three yeah yeah um uh, yeah just starting editing tomorrow i think all right. so yeah, all right hopefully, hopefully like mm-hmm. out in the first quarter of 23 i think cool well good luck Excited. thanks man yeah, yeah thanks guys can't wait Six. Okay, now did you count your top button with the collar button? I think so. Recheck yourself so you'll be sure. One. That's two, three, four, five, six. Six, correct. Okay. Now you button those for me. Button up that whole thing for me. Okay. 